0: Hello and welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The Seahawks are coming off a disappointing loss to the Tennessee Titans. They're 1-1 and coming into this Week 3 game. They're going on the road and taking on the Minnesota Vikings. And here, joining me to talk about it, is Tyler Fortness, contributor to the Daily Norseman and the Climbing the Pocket Podcast, also writing for NBC Sports Edge. He's joining the show to help preview Sunday's matchup with the Vikings. Tyler,
1: welcome back. Hey, I appreciate it, Brandon. And I just want to say happy reef week. I'm glad we could share him <laughs> with you officially for the next week. And I'm excited to talk about this game.
0: Yeah, I saw that going around on Twitter. He's doing a nice little fundraiser. And uh, because reef is part of Seahawks Twitter, I, I don't know how it happened, but uh,
1: he's he's there. He absolutely is there. And it's it's reef. He's is a fantastic guy. And it's... It'll be fun to talk about this game because this game always provides an excellent amount of content for both of us.
0: It's one of those matchups. It's it feels like a rivalry. And I don't know if it's just because it goes all the way back to Steve Hutchinson. And I mean, there's been moves throughout the years that have tied the Vikings and the Seahawks together and, and probably even before Steve Hutchinson. But, uh, you know, that we then we get Nate Burleson with the same type of poison pill type deal that you guys get Hutch. And then the Percy Harvin trade not too long ago. If I were to name them all, we'd be here all day. But, uh, yeah, definitely two teams that are seemingly tied together in a whole number of ways.
1: Absolutely. And it's kind of funny because every year we seem to end up facing each other due to the scheduling quirks and us finishing at the same line of our divisions. But every year we go to Seattle. for The first time since 2015, you guys are coming here. So it'll be nice to not have to worry about going to, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know. Is it CenturyLink Field still? And it's not CenturyLink anymore. It's Lumen Field. They changed it uh, at the very end of last season. You know, I love the corporate grab from all these organizations getting as much money as you can for the naming rights. But man, it's hard to keep track.
0: Well, and then it's like with this one, it was some kind of acquisition. And so it's not even changing hands. It's just they rebranded or something like that. So. you know, the, these companies, can we just pick a name for the stadium like Mile High in Denver? let just keep calling it Mile High, even though somebody else owns it.
1: A hundred percent, man. I completely agree with you. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about some football.
0: We are. And both of these teams, Tyler, are coming off just disappointing losses right at the end of the game for back to back weeks. I'm a little bit upset about this because I previewed the Titans game with the, the guy from the Titans and they lost to the Arizona Cardinals and now Minnesota lost to the Arizona Cardinals. I'm, I'm kind of sick of talking to people of teams that are losing to the Arizona Cardinals because I want it to be the other way
1: around. Oh, absolutely. I wish it was the other way around last week as well. But at the end of the day, Kyler Murray is fantastic uh, playing backyard football and that's, and I mean, you see it all the time with Russell Wilson. The, those guys are just great at out of structure play and they make things happen. And that's the main reason why the Vikings lost. I'm hearing, just in
0: my timeline, and, and we'll, we'll get to previewing this game, but based off of what you saw from the Cardinals, I'm hearing a lot of chirping from Cardinals fans that Kyler Murray, if the season were to end today, he'd be the, the MVP of
1: the NFL. I think he probably would be, uh, if you're not going to give it to Tom Brady. But Tom Brady sometimes just feels like a boring choice. And it kind of like uh, when Lamar and Tim Tebow went for their second Heisman Trophies, like, well, do, we don't want to give it to the, that guy. We want to give it to somebody different. Kind of like that you want a new voice in the room. You want a new MVP yeah, because you just kind of expect it out of Brady. And Kyler's had a fantastic start to the season. At the end of the day, though, I don't think I could give it to him because he's still Kyler Murray and he still gives you two to three opportunities to really take advantage and burn them. And the Vikings took advantage. They got two interceptions off two poorly thrown reads. And uh, they took one of them for a touchdown and they converted the other one into points, if I remember correctly. So uh, Kyler is on track to become an NFL MVP, but I don't think he's quite there yet. The game ends on the
0: opportunity for a big field goal against the Cardinals. And it's in the range to where it's kind of 50-50. What are Vikings fans talking about this week
1: after this loss? Where, where are they? Where's the blame going? Well, for me, the blame is not going to the kicker. The kicker should have made the kick. It was a thirty-seven yard kick, eighty eight percent chance. Oh, it to wasn't make a, I thought it was kick. like a fifty-seven yard or fifty-six yard or something crazy now, like that. He hit two fifty yarders in the middle of the game and he missed an extra point, which is key here because the Vikings did lose by one and they did not try to go for two. Yeah. Which is another frustrating point. But it all boils down to uh Mike Zimmer and his tendencies from nineteen ninety five. If he was a head coach in ninety five, he probably wins a Super Bowl. Like he's just too old school of a thinker. He doesn't either. He doesn't have somebody he trusts as analytically brained, or he doesn't listen enough to the analytical people because there are just too many instances where he goes by football gut and it bites him. Like, Hey, Greg Joseph made two plus yard field goals. That's fantastic. He'll make one from 37. Well, it's a Vikings kicker. The, the difference between the Vikings and, and every team that the Vikings play in EPA that, but in like the last like two minutes of a football game in overtime is 0. 0.64. That's astronomical. Mm-hmm. And the Vikings have had horrible luck with kickers since 1998. We all know Gary you don't, Anderson. You, you don't have to bring up any Vikings kickers. I, we lived through yes. the Blair Walsh era for one season, too. Yeah, exactly. So the, when you know that kickers have tortured you, and they have tortured Mike Zimmer, Daniel Carlson missed three field goals at Lambeau in the well, tie. Yeah. Like it, they have tortured the Minnesota Vikings before, during, and they will after Mike Zimmer. And to just settle for that 37 yard field goal to me was one of the, a big mistake. Uh, there were other times throughout the game, uh, three of the five worst decisions um, according to a uh, win loss probability were made by Mike Zimmer in the fourth quarter. Mm. Uh, you, you can argue semantics about whether you should go for it on fourth down from your own nine yard line probably should ignore the numbers there. But at the same time, it's a trend. Mike Zimmer is an old-school type coach in a new-school type world. And it's just clashing too much. And I think that is the main reason why the Vikings lost. And then you could talk about execution stuff. But Kirk Cousins played a fantastic football game. And he has had a really good start to the season, when historically, for the Vikings, he has not. So that, that was a really good sign. But for me, it's all about... Mike Zimmer and the discontent and disconnect between him and the front office, and how they both view how this team should be run.
0: Well, and as Seahawks fans, I I have to think that we're a little bit concerned because we're coming off a game. the The Titans' offense in Week One it didn't look at all what we expected because I mean they have so many weapons with Julio Jones, AJ Brown, uh, Derrick Henry in the backfield, and with that offense. It's not getting any easier now because they go from kind of a similarly tough offense in the Titans to having a running back in Dalvin Cook that can really torch a team. You have weapons on the outside with Justin Jefferson, another young receiver, you know, a lot like A.J. Brown. I mean, not in body type, but in in their skill level. And then Mm -hmm. Adam Thielen, another guy who can catch passes from all over the place. And and probably I, I guess I don't know where I'd rank out the two quarterbacks between Tannehill. And Kirk Cousins, maybe a little bit better
1: with Cousins. I don't know. They're on the same tier. They're on the same plane. Yeah. If you want it, like analytics, people love, absolutely love Ryan Tannehill. Um, As far as like just a game perspective. Yeah. He's he's super
0: efficient. He doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot. And those are the things that I think of when I think of Tannehill.
1: And I think he's better at creating off structure. I would rank Tannehill slightly above Kirk Cousins, but I think they are on the same tier they're somewhere between quarterback eight and quarterback 15 in the league, depending on the week.
0: So with the with that in mind, I, I just with the the issues that the Seahawks have at corner, I, I could see them just continuing to struggle. I, I guess the one thing I'm curious about, though, is that Vikings offensive line, because I, I seem to think that that's been a little bit of a concern. What have you seen from the Vikings offensive line here through the first two weeks?
1: I'm going to be honest with you. The Vikings offensive line has been one of the more impressive units on the team. And it's been a real struggle. The Vikings have thrown a ton of assets at it over the past four off seasons. They have two second round picks in Brian O'Neill and Ezra Cleveland. They have a third round pick in Wyatt Davis, who at, did not play a snap last week, but that's okay. I'll get to that. They have uh, Garrett Bradbury and Christian Darrisaw's first round selections, and they've spent big money on two free agents in Riley Reef and Mike Remmers, neither of which are with the team anymore. They have done a lot to try and improve this offensive line. Uh, They actually had to make an offensive line coach switch at the beginning of training camp because their uh, offensive line coach, Rick Dennison, chose not to get vaccinated. Because of that, he couldn't actually be on the field with the team. Well, they have a young guy, and his name is escaping me, but man, (laughs) he feels like a Bill Parcells, Jim Harbaugh. He's screaming obscenities at them every practice, and it seems to be working. That, um, you have Brian O'Neill, who just signed that big extension, and he has 96 pass block reps, zero pressures allowed, by far the best in the National Football League. You have Ole Udo, who was a sixth-round pick as a tackle three years ago, who just wasn't quite athletic enough, but has the size and has the power. And he, is, uh, he moved to the inside at the beginning of training camp, and he's already playing very well. Garrett Bradbury had a bad pass rush day or past blocking day against Cincinnati, but really improved uh, on Sunday against the Cardinals. Ezra Cleveland moved back to the left side, but still inside a guard, played really well. And Rashad Hill is just a placeholder for Christian Deresaw, and he is capable enough to get us through. Uh, this unit has overall been really good, and the fact that they have been good is a very welcome change for Vikings fans because it's something we've been harping on since Steve Hutchinson left the franchise.
0: I don't like the the tone that this is taking so far, Tyler, because you you are not sounding to me like a fan of an zero two football team. You you sound like you're very optimistic about this offensive football team,
1: but yet they've lost two games in a row. Absolutely. Well, we haven't got to the real issue on the team, and we've talked about Mike Zimmer a little bit, but the real issue on the team is the defense. Yeah. Daniil Hunter looks like he's back in form. Okay. Uh, Michael Pierce, the nose tackle, uh, kind of uh, he's he's our puna for. And he has 340 pounds of pure beef, and he is explosive at that size. Kind of reminds me a little bit of how Linval Joseph played in his prime. Mm. Um, you have Dalvin Tomlinson Shelton Richardson, who I know Seahawks fans are very familiar with. And then uh, there's a rotation at the right defensive end. They've been an okay unit. Daniel Hunter has four sacks, but overall they've just been okay. They have been inconsistent. Linebacker, we're still missing Anthony Barr. Nick Vigil had probably the best game of any linebacker in the National Football League last week, just making play after play. Got a pick six and the corners. Rashad Breland's the worst corner of football. Patrick Peterson is a shell of himself. Really? Uh, and McK- yeah. Mackenzie Alexander is fine in the nickel, but he's going against Tyler Lockett and him. that scares the hell out of me. And then you have Cam Dancer, who's in the doghouse. It's, it's a rough group. They're not gelling very well. They allowed 27 points to uh, Joe Burrow, who somehow was playing on two knees. And then Kyler Murray torched him, and they weren't able to keep contain in the pocket. So the defense is where they're going to get gashed. The offense still gets archaic at times with the play calling. Feels like it's 1995, but instead of just power eye, it's wide zone. It's it. The easiest way to beat this football team is for Russell Wilson to to um, just uh, pardon my French here, but just chuck it in and that's going to be the easiest way to beat this football team. Well, you know what? That is what Russell Wilson specializes in. So mm-hmm. this,
0: this could be a high scoring game because equally for the Seahawks in the secondary, that's been an issue for them. The one guy that you didn't bring up, though, it, who I feel like has just been a staple on the defense is Eric Kendricks. And I, I feel like every time I watch him on the Vikings defense, he's making plays.
1: Oh, 100%. Eric Hendricks has been really good. He was hurt going into last week, and somehow he ended up okay, Mm. and he played a good football game. But I still worry about him without having um, Anthony Barr next to him, and he's going to be able to make plays. But outside of that, it's, it's really tough on that back seven. Harrison Smith's still great, but he is... 32, 33 years old now. Like, there are easy ways to beat this team, and it's going to be by throwing the football.
0: Talking to Tyler Fornes, contributor to the Daily Norseman and the Climbing the Pocket podcast, also with NBC Sports Edge. I'm curious about what things are going on just even within your division. As, As a Vikings fan, following the Vikings, Is it at all concerning being down 0-2 now through these first couple weeks or with how things are playing out in the division? Is this something that you can see the Vikings bouncing back from,
1: especially when you kind of forecast the schedule going ahead? I really don't know. And I think this game is going to be huge because the Vikings took the Seahawks to the absolute limit last year, and they were... Alexander Madison reading a whole differently from winning in Seattle, something they have just been unable to do. Russell Wilson has their number. He has never lost to the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that's key because he's mad. He's mad because Kirk cousins beat him in college and he's never, (laughs) he's never forgotten it. And so I think he lives for these games against cousins. I wouldn't doubt it one bit. Uh, The Vikings also never beat Tom Brady or Peyton Manning that they, they, They have struggled in recent memory against great quarterbacks. Uh, I think the fact that there is that kind of stigma with the Seattle Seahawks and not being able to overcome that obstacle, I think, plays into it. But I also think what plays into it is the first two games were very winnable. These next two games are very difficult. You have the Seahawks on Sunday and the Cleveland Browns the following week, who are a better version of the Minnesota Vikings. They play the same style of football, but they're just better at almost every position. It's it's just like going from JV to varsity. So the fact that they're 0-2 now and they have the Seahawks coming to town, I fear that this could really be an 0-4 football team. And then you have the Panthers and Lions after that. Well, if you slip up on either one of those, then you're you're potentially looking at 1-5. 1-5 going into the bye week with a team that needs to win now for both their general manager And their head coach is a very bad sign. This is an absolute must win for the Vikings, both for the future of this team and for this season. Listening to you, it sounds
0: like Zimmer, in in terms of how fans are feeling, is kind of on the hot seat this
1: year. Zimmer is absolutely on the hot seat. I believe going into the year, uh, Caesars Sportsbook had him as the the fifth coach with their fifth highest odds to get fired, uh, either during the season or after. Like Zimmer is 100% on the hot seat. They they have this pattern of never being bad but other than 2017, they're never great. Mm. It's just kind of like a nice wave around purgatory. They're always going to be picking somewhere between like 14 and 25. That's not a place that you want to be as a football team. It doesn't really help you evolve and continue to get better. Uh, Zimmer is a fantastic schemer. Guys love him. They want to play for him. You have like Terrence Newman who would literally like kill for that man and he's he played for him through dallas cincinnati minnesota but he also rubs people the wrong way because he is he has an archaic style that he learned from bill parcells so it's kind of a a mixed bag he's a guy that you want to play for and you love that he's leading your team but then he's 17 and 39 against teams with winning records and since 2014 the only coach worse is jay gruden the common denominator there is Kirk cousins Wow. So I think I think that's just an anomaly. But at the end of the day, it's a must win. And if Zimmer doesn't have it, there is a real good chance he could get fired by the bye week.
0: Well, and when you consider all the talent that we we talked about it already to, a little bit, but maybe we can talk about this running game a little bit more, because I guess that was one of the things that stood out to me just watching some of the game from this past Sunday was I I thought that based on how, the Arizona Cardinals defensive line played in week one against the Titans that Dalvin cook would be bottled up. But I saw quite a few big
1: plays from cook against this Arizona Cardinals defensive line. Absolutely. The Vikings running game has never been something that is bad unless they're playing a Keem Hicks in Chicago. The (laughs) Keem Hicks just has the number, but they were opening up holes that you could drive a semi through. And it was, it was very nice to see the problem is they have a rookie Play caller in Clint Kubiak, uh, son of Gary Kubiak, and everybody knows Gary Kubiak won multiple Super Bowls. Basically, co-invented the wide zone. But at the end of the day, you still have a rookie play caller. Yeah. And when you have a rookie play caller, you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have ebbs and flows. And I think Zimmer is getting his head in there a little too much. Whole first half last week, you were seeing a lot of pre-snap motion. You weren't you weren't seeing runs on second and nine every single time like you did last year that you were seeing evolution, you were seeing analytics in play and it kind of reverted closer to the mean in the second half, which I believe is one of the reasons why they struggled. Uh, it's having a rookie play caller is tough when Mike Zimmer doesn't focus on the offensive side of the ball. He kind of leaves it. Hey, that's your baby. Take care of it. But then he still butts his head in. It's, it's a very weird deal. It just doesn't, feels like Zimmer's a defensive coach that has head coach responsibilities. So I'm really interested to see how that kind of continues to evolve. As Kubiak becomes a more seasoned play caller, but they need to establish the run, kind of as you're saying, because that running game is very good. And Dalvin Cook, uh, you could argue, is the best back in football. Well, and you talk
0: about coaching mindsets. It, it, we have something similar with Pete Carroll. I, I do think that he's maybe a little more analytically inclined, maybe a little bit. But at the same time, we heard him talking about after the game this past week against Tennessee how. They did not establish the run well enough in the first half to where when they got up big because they scored 21 points in the second quarter. And so they were up 15 going into the third quarter and they just weren't able to run the ball well enough in that third and fourth quarter to where they could take any time off the clock at all. And when Pete Carroll has the lead. I I feel like that's what it what you fall back to, especially as kind of an old school coach. Right. You want to you want to take time off the clock. It's not about scoring even more points, because I I felt like if they would have done that, then they could have easily put this game out of reach last week. So uh, Mm -hmm. I, I do see some of the correlations here with the run game. There's also the correlation of rookie play caller because Shane Waldron coming up from the Rams. It's his just third game calling plays. And we saw a wild swing from week one with a lot of the pre-snap motion, a lot of inventive play calls that really as Seahawks fans, we hadn't quite seen those types of wrinkles. And then last week, it felt like the same old Brian Schottenheimer. Maybe it's the Pete Carroll offense. I don't know, but it it felt like it reverted a little bit. So it's, it's interesting to know
1: that we have kind of a battle here between very young play callers. We have a battle between very young play callers. And we also have a battle between Bill Parcell's disciples with Pete Carroll and Mike Zimmer. And I think that's why we're seeing so many correlations with how the offenses are run, right? That it's, it's archaic at times. It's we need to establish the run and that's the key to winning the football game. And it's really weird because you have two quarterbacks who can throw the football. Russell Wilson is um, without a doubt, a top five quarterback in the national football league. Kirk cousins, when he's on is very, very good. And the fact that they're not utilized is something I'm going to be really watching throughout the course of this game on Sunday, which I will be at live, which I'm very excited. Oh, that's cool. Oh, you just sit upper deck. You just get the all 22. Yes. Fantastic. (laughs) But watching how these quarterbacks get utilized is going to be fascinating to me because I think whoever utilizes their quarterback more is going to end up winning the football game.
0: You bring up Bill Parcells as as a disciple. Uh it really, I mean, Pete Carroll he got his start under Bud Grant of the Vikings. He did. Uh, there's uh, that history too that goes into this game.
1: It's wild. And I I can't remember when, but Pete Carroll almost became the head coach of the no, it's Bill Belichick, never mind. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating to kind of see how things link together. These franchises will always be intertwined. And that now, hopefully that we can just kind of absorb some of that. Hey, you made two Super Bowls in the last decade. let now give some of that to us. <laughs>
0: I mean, I don't like the Packers, but I don't know if I don't like them that much. <laughs> that's fair. I,
1: <laughs> I can't stand the Packers, but that's a subject for another day.
0: Any predictions, Tyler, going into this game on Sunday?
1: Yeah, um, it, you know, it kind of hurts me to say it, but I, I think the Seahawks are going to come in and win this football game. Um, I think the Vikings are very good. I just worry about how we utilize process, how we're, this team is going to be coached, and I think Russell Wilson is going to torture a secondary. I am scared to death of Tyler Lockett playing in the slot. Um, I'm not so worried about DK Metcalf because I feel like he's a lot easier to stop. You have Patrick Peterson, jam him at the line. You put a safety over the top. You can contain him a lot easier. Tyler Lockett, with his shiftiness, his ability to, to explode in and out of breaks, I'm really scared that he's just going to absolutely torch us. Uh, He is, to me, the biggest X factor in this football game. Um, And with the recent luck that Mike Zimmer has had against the Seattle Seahawks and winning teams in general, which I project the Seahawks to win 10 to 13 games, depending on how game flow goes throughout the season, I I think it's going to be something like 31-27. And I think the Seahawks are going to come away with the victory.
0: You hit the nail on the head there in terms of kind of the uh the dilemma that defenses are faced with because and and I think that they are favoring you know that that DK Metcalf matchup and and that's really what's allowed Tyler Lockett to to have these big games because he gets one-on-one with guys and he can make guys miss easily you know his his the footwork that we've seen from him to to get open at just the right moment and he has that chemistry with Russell Wilson that um, I, I think we've really seen here through these first two weeks, so uh, that that could be another matchup to watch this week if if the Vikings do continue to to put that kind of uh, emphasis on covering Metcalf.
1: Absolutely, and another matchup I'll be watching is something that you mentioned to me as well is the Vikings receivers against the Seattle corners. Seattle corners have not had a very good start to the season, <laughs> No. and uh, it's and something. And Pete Carroll, that Vi- he's
0: not high on them either because. In this in this week's press conference on Monday, he said, "Oh, the corner the cornerbacks are battling." And Tyler, w- when Pete Carroll says that players are battling, it's, it's about as bad as you can get
1: if if he, if he says you are battling. All right, well that makes all the sense in the world now. And the Vikings have uh, two Pro Bowl receivers in Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, and they now have a third wide receiver in KJ Osborne, fifth round pick last year out of Miami, drafted solely to be a punt returner looked atrocious last year in the preseason as a receiver he balled out in camp balled out in the preseason and uh, even caught a 64 yard touchdown the second play last week against the cardinals he is a bona fide number three receiver and it's been really cool to see his development the vikings if they choose to just spread him out and utilize play action it it could get really dangerous and that's kind of where i can see the high scoring element come into play because russell wilson's going to get his with his backyard football because most of his success does come from that out of structure because he's Russell Wilson. He's just magic and it's unfair. (laughs) Um, But if both teams utilize their receivers to the ability that they can, it's going to be a very fun and entertaining football game like the Vikings saw last week with the Cardinals.
0: Yes, maybe we are just due for fun games between these two teams. I go back to last year and and maybe I don't want to have as much fun this year as I had last year, because I just, I remember how stressful I was at halftime last year. It was a great comeback win, but uh, yeah, I, I could do without that stress. So Tyler, appreciate you coming on. If people want to check out your work online, if people want to follow along on Twitter,
1: where do they go? Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at the real Forno. I do a uh, YouTube show called Climbing the Pocket Mondays on the Climbing the Pocket YouTube channel. Uh, very easy to find. Just search Climbing the Pocket. It's right there. I also write for NBC Sports Edge, as you said, and I write an article every week on Notre Dame talking about the new player predictor contest on the NBC predictor app and it breaking down against the spread and over under and from a real betting perspective. So you can check that out. It usually drops uh, Friday or Saturday right before the game. And I've got a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline with the Vikings and NBC So make sure you keep tuned in. All right. Well, I'm going to go look for that
0: because I did really well with my picks in the first week and against the spread and all that jazz. uh, Not so well the second week, so I I might need your help this week.
1: Hey, I'm more than happy to offer my assistance.
0: Thanks once again to Tyler Fornes of the Daily Norseman for coming on and helping break down this Vikings game coming up. If you want to check out more Seahawks content today, Tyler Alson has an article up at FieldGoals.com that I know that I want to read just based on the headline. It says the Seahawks passed on Creed Humphrey and the draft has it hurt them because this was a guy, this is a guy that I wanted in the draft and having, having seen him at Oklahoma and having him been a, a high ranked center and knowing that that was a weakness going into this season for the Seahawks on the offensive line. I want to know what Creed Humphrey is doing just so I can either satisfy myself for being right about my offseason take or be content knowing that uh, maybe they made the right call with D. Eskridge. So check that out, fieldgoals.com. I will be back later this week. Clinton Bonner, Phil Leidick will be doing our preview show, our What If preview show. So look for that coming up. Subscribe to the show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts, or go to fieldgoals.com, click on the podcast button there. And until next time, go Hawks.